and fan the flame. That's what we're going after, all right? May God get all the glory all year long in 2021. No matter the circumstance, I will look to my King. Man, well, it's great to be here with you. Great to be worshiping with you. And uh, man, it's great to be gathering together, whether in person or online. We are walking through a series here. And the series is called Fan the Flame. Fan the flame. We're talking about what it means to keep my heart worshiping, on fire, ready to rock, going after Jesus Christ with all I've got. Whether I'm facing some struggles or some heartaches, some things that I did not want them to be this way, some tough times like, Lord, I long for me in the midst of that to maintain a worship for you. And so as we look today at this passage that we're going to jump into, we're talking very specifically about truth and practicing God's Word. Truth and practicing God's Word. We're going to be coming out of the book of 2 Timothy and uh, have been for this whole series and will continue to be. And man, as we dive into this, the job here is, Lord, teach me from your Word, teach the truth of your Word that I might practice it. Our job is not just to know God's word. Our job is to respond to it, both in word and in action. May we go after worshiping our King with all we've got, no matter what's going on in our life, ready to give our lives to Him. So here we go. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 14. 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 14. And uh, we'll start point number one here. It says, read the Bible, know the Bible, follow Jesus. Now, this is a really important set of phrases. You could start with the first phrase or even the second phrase, read the Bible, know the Bible. And if that's where you're at, you're gathering in information, but it's not becoming life transformation. And that's not enough. It's not enough to say, yeah, I read, or yeah, I know what it says. Like that, that's not where we're going. Lord, as I get into your word, as I get to know you, Lord, may I follow you with all I've got. May the word of God wash onto our shore and affect us. Ready? And all of God's people said. It's a huge deal that we grasp the importance of God's word. So here we go. He says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearer. We'll just hold right there. He says, remind them now, this is Paul writing the book of 2 Timothy, and uh, he's writing this book a couple years after the first, and as he's writing this, he's challenging Timothy, who is the pastor at the church at Ephesus, and he's like, here's some things you need to know. Now, in the first part of 2 Timothy 2, he's walked through some of those details, and now he's saying, remind them, remind the rest of the church, get the people rallying on this topic, remind them. In the present imperative, by the way, it's in the command form and it's in the present. It means in an ongoing way, continue to remind them, make this regularly be placed in front of them, remind them of these things. What things? Well, all that was found in 2 Timothy 2 in the first part, there's actually five commands there. I'll just list them off for you real quickly. It goes, be strengthened by Jesus. Be strengthened and trust to faithful men. And trust to faithful men. Suffer as a good soldier. Think on what is taught and remember Jesus and all that he does. So be strengthened by Jesus. Entrust to faithful men. Suffer as a soldier. Think 
rightly and remember rightly about Jesus. That's what he's talking about. May our heart and our head be locked in on what is absolutely true and right. May we go after it with all we've got. May the strength and power of Jesus be pouring in and may it change our lives. Remind them of those things. May the church be on fire with those truths. He says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good. He's like, and be careful that our words don't become just times to stand against each other, that there's not little bits of bickering here and there, disagreements along the way. He's like, make sure that there's not a quarreling. That word quarrel probably best understood is almost like a tennis match, words being sent back and forth at each other, battling a little bit along the way. And um, let's just put it this way. All too often, it's easy to begin to communicate with somebody or listen to somebody. And as you're talking with them, the first thing you do is you say where you don't agree with them. Instead of finding a way to say, right, or yeah, I agree with that, we start to say, no, I don't think so. Here's why. This is what I think. And we start to try to establish ourselves as being somehow the centerpiece that everybody needs to rally on. And uh, man, I'm just telling you, we make a huge mistake when our identity is defined by our disagreements. Let that word settle. When our identity is defined by our disagreements, we've got a real problem going in our walk with Christ. When I'm walking around and I'm like, I need people to know that I stand on my own. I'm, I, I'm isolated and I've got an opinion and this is where I stand. And like all of a sudden my identity is in my rebellion or my differencing, my disagreeing along the way. Be super careful that you're not found to just be quarreling. There's no good done in that, it says. No good, meaning nobody's helped, nobody's lifted up, nobody's encouraged, and God is not honored. It's not getting the job done, right? Let's not use our words to just tear down. He says, but in fact, it only ruins the hearer. It only ruins the hearer. And uh, I'll just say it this way. Our complaining, our attacking, our our jumping on something and disagreeing can really destroy the audience, if you want to say it that way. Those who have to hear you go through that. It destroys those that are the hearers. They're receiving, you're complaining, you're whining, you're attacking, and it begins to tear down the whole vibe in the room. It's a contagiousness that gets into their soul as well. And he's like, be careful with that complaining, with that attacking, with that disagreeing. It can ruin the one listening. It takes them down a bad path. I'll put it this way. Uh, anger or discontent. Man, these are like seeds that you can plant. They raise up a crop in those around you. And you can raise up more anger and more discontent in them by you planting those seeds as you move along. Be super careful of what it is you're sharing with your words. May your words well up and spill out in order to honor God and lift up those around you. Maybe put it this way. So what seeds do you plant? What seeds are you planting with your words? Uh, is it frustrations and angers and upsetnesses and discontentedness as you tear down? Or are you lifting up? Are you celebrating your God? Are you encouraging those around you? Are you finding ways to agree 
along the way and being able to grasp what's happening. And the seeds we plant with our words are massive and important. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. And um, I don't know about you guys, but if you grew up in a very traditional church, and maybe you were raised on the King James Version of the Bible. I know I was. Our, our church used the King James for a long time. And, and so you may know this verse, and it may sound totally different, right? Instead of do your best, it starts out, study. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, right? King James Version. And a study to show yourself. What does that mean? Well, oftentimes people would hear that word and they think it meant like, get the Bible, open it up, make sure you're reading it, studying it, you know, like you're prepping for an exam. Like you're going through and you're trying to understand the word so you can pass the quiz. It doesn't mean that. The best translation is really like what ESV has here. It does mean to do your best, to place your best effort out there that God might get the glory. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Standing before God saying, Lord God, I long for you to get the glory. I love for you to be praised and honored. Lord, I want my walk. I want my words. I want my actions to celebrate you. Please notice it says, do your best. Like there are times where we may miss. We may slip. There are times where we may not grasp exactly what's going on and we head the wrong direction. Sin gets a hold of us. Our attitude gets too much. Our words spill out and we start to hurt those around us. Lord, please forgive me. Lord, please forgive me. Like that's a huge deal. Do your best. It means, Lord, I'm laying it down. I'm putting it on the line. Lord, I want you to be glorified. And where I'm wrong, Lord, please forgive me. I'm ready to make sure that you're getting all the honor and the praise. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Man, to be pleasing before God. Our goal is not to please others. And our goal is not to please ourselves. Our goal is to please God Almighty, Him having the say in our lives. Maybe let's put it this way. Know what He wants and pursue who He is. Know what He wants and pursue who He is. Pursue Him. May your life be a journey where you are following after Jesus Christ with all you've got and you're laying it on the line for him. Know what he wants. Pursue after him with all you've got. Do your best to present yourself as one approved. It says a workman who has no need to be ashamed. Right? If we go after it in the right way, there's no need for that shame to hit. I thought the best way to understand the word ashamed is maybe to understand um, from an example. So we have a little dog. Our dog's name is Toby. And uh, he's a cool little dog. In fact, we love playing with him. He's a blast to be around. He, we've had three dogs in our family's life. And this dog is by far the best dog that we've had. And uh, he's just a super joy to have around. And he's very friendly and very relatable. I'm getting nodding heads from Jana. She's appreciating this word. And uh, just our dog is a blast to be around. I'm telling you, our dog is super tender and sensitive as well. Like when tears well up in someone's eyes, if somebody starts to cry a little bit, like you can hear a little bit of pain, this dog immediately runs over to you and is like checking to make sure you're okay. Puts his paw on your leg like, are you all right? Also saying, I can't jump up on the couch. Will you pick me up? <laughs> right? 
and just trying to get a little attention, but puts his paw on, are you okay? And then if you pick him up and you've been crying or a little sad, he'll like climb up in your lap, curl up, even start licking your face like, it'll be okay. Don't worry, it'll be okay. I'm right here with you. And like the dog, just bringing a little bit of encouragement along the way. Super fun to be with and we love having him around. In fact, our kids also loved having him around. So as they now have gone off and gotten married, they have gone and bought the same breed of dog. So we now have three of these little ones running around that are all fairly tender and compassionate towards everybody around them and coming over and checking and seeing how you're doing and laying in your lap. And um, one of them, actually, Kane, the youngest one, uh, my daughter Alyssa and Grant own Kane and a uh, super sweet dog and uh, just a lot of energy, a lot of pup in him still, still running around a lot. And there's times where you're like, Kane, and as you call out his name, just right away as you're like, Kane, he's like, I know. And his ears fall down. He's like, I've never seen more expressive ears in a little puppy. His ears go like, I know, I was completely wrong. I was, and he just sort of says, his head drops a little bit. His tail even tucks a little bit. He's like, I'm so sorry. Just before that, he was running around all cool. Everything was fine. Isn't that how we live life? We know we've done something wrong and we're like, I'm good. We're fine. We kind of live with our heads up. We're good. We're good. And then all of a sudden, somebody says something, notices something, and we're like, I know. I was so wrong. I don't know what I was thinking. I was just wrong. That's the word ashamed. Your ears fall. Your head falls. You feel the weight of knowing you were wrong. You've been faking it. You've been posing it. That's ashamed. And he's like, may we follow after our God in a way where we don't have to be ashamed, where we're not faking it, where we're not posing it, where we're not having our ears fall back and our head drop when somebody finds out what we're into with words or actions. May we be a worker who does not need to be ashamed. It's like, let's follow after our God in a way where we can have a high honor and a praise of our King. He says, rightly handling the word of truth. Rightly handling God's word, the Bible. Man, it is super important that we spend time in God's word, that we dig into God's word, that when we wake up in the morning, it's so easy when we wake up to open up the word and just begin to read a little bit, pour into it, hear a little bit from our God and go after it. And it's also so easy to wake up and go, I don't think I'm going to do that today. I'm just going to move on. And we skip past God's word. And we skip past hearing a little bit of what he has to say. We skip past saying, Lord, what do you want from me today? How can I go after you? Man, may we rightly handle God's word. May we know what it says. May we read it, know it, and may we respond to it and follow after our king with all we've got. May we rightly handle God's word because from the source of the truth of God's word, we start to grasp all that he stands for and all that we can be about and our heart begins to beat to the right direction and our words well over with a praise and an honor for him. And may we rightly handle God's word. May it stir us in the knowledge of what we learn to begin to learn more of him and to pursue our king. May we know what he wants. May we pursue him with all we've got. May God get all the glory. Ready? And all of God's people said. It's a huge deal that we grasp this. 
It's a really huge deal that we have this easy on-ramp to knowing what God is and what God's about. He communicates so clearly along the way. Man, I'm telling you, sin is all over in this world. This world is broken. This world is tragic. This world is pressing in. This world is selling. Be about yourself. This world is selling. Make it all about you. This world is selling that it is good for you to go after things that maybe feel good in the moment, but they tear down for the long run. Sin is everywhere. Maybe I could best say it like this. Sin in the world is a lot like minus seven degree temperatures outside. I'm telling you, man, I got up this morning, we got up to go outside, and I, as I went into the garage, my garage is usually fairly warm, depending on what it's like outside. It actually holds the temp pretty well in there. I stepped in the garage, it was like 10 degrees in the garage. It was freezing cold, and as I opened the garage door, and it came up, this blast of Arctic air just pounds me. And I'm like, man, is it cold out. I could see my breath coming out all over the place. I had to help Jana get into the car, so I'm going over to grab her crutches and her scooter which some of you who were here at the beginning of this service are doing 30 miles an hour coming down the hall. I apologize for that. But we're, we're having to get the scooter over here in the, and so we're bringing that in the truck and I'm grabbing onto these things with no gloves on and my hands are starting to freeze just touching the metal as I'm putting it into the truck and getting it set, right? I go over, I grab the gloves, I'm putting them on, I'm zipping the coat up tight, turning the heat on high just to bring a little warmth and heat. He's like, man, make sure of this. Sin is like cold, freezing air. And I'm telling you, if you want to fight against it, you're going to need to be able to put on the gloves and the coat. You're going to have to go after it rightly. The way to stay warm in our God, following after his word, clothing ourselves with knowing who he is and what he's about, and going after exactly what he's longing for. May we prep ourselves for the Arctic blast of sin in this world, and may God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, so simple question. So how are you doing with the words you plant, with the seeds that you sow? How are you doing at spending time in God's word and letting his word become your word? May God rock your world. Okay? Point number two. Point number two, separate from sin. Don't let sin separate you. Separate from sin. Don't let sin separate you. He says, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. He says, but avoid irreverent babble. Avoid. This means uh, don't speak it. Don't look for it. Don't listen to it. That's avoid. Don't speak it. Don't look for it. Don't listen to it. Avoid irreverent babble. Uh, the word irreverent here really means godless uh, or worldly. It means it doesn't belong in the presence of God Almighty. It doesn't belong in his presence. That's not what my God's all about. That's what's irreverent, right? It's the things we might say or do that we know we would never want to say or do that if we were practicing the very presence of God right here with me right now. Irreverent. And then he says, babble, that's like fruitless, useless words. Words I say that get nothing good done. And uh, may we not practice babble that accomplishes no good. You know, as I was thinking through this this week, I just wrote these words down. 
Words are the rehearsal of our soul. Words are the rehearsal of our soul, right? From Scripture, it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Words are the rehearsal of what's going on in our soul. And we got to be super careful with that. Man, if we let our heart just ponder and stir on everything broken and bad, the, the stirring and the soul unsettledness just spills out into words that are angry or complaining, discontented. If you're finding yourself having trouble with words, you're actually having trouble with what you muse on in your soul. Words are nothing but the rehearsal of what's going on in the soul. Be super careful with their words, they can tear down, whether it turns into irreverent babble or as the first point said, as it turns into this bickering and this battling and this, this uh, really disagreeing with each other. May we not rehearse uh, false doctrine, things that are untrue. We're going to see that in just a little bit in the passage here. May we not rehearse false doctrine. May we not rehearse the celebration of self. It's all about me. May we not rehearse lifting up of sin, whether it be by word or by action. May we rehearse who our God is and may we go after him with all we've got. That's our calling. And as we live in this broken world, as we live in this hurting world, as it washes on our shore, we must begin to rehearse regularly who my God is, thinking on, musing on, letting it spill to my actions and my words. He says, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. It will lead people into more and more ungodliness. I love that he used the word more twice over. It will lead people into more and more ungodliness. It's just going to fall apart, man. Let's not go this way where we're tearing down along the way. Uh, again, he's kind of getting back to this planting of seeds concept. He's like, let's not plant the seeds that are just going to cause people to go towards more ungodliness along the way. Let's not do that. And uh, he says, and their talk will spread like gangrene. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Paul does not mess around with the metaphors, right? And their talk will spread like gangrene. I don't know how many of you have seen gangrene before. And uh, not many probably. Maybe you've seen a picture. I haven't seen it before, but we know enough, right? Somebody's like, hey, you want to see this picture of gangrene? You're like, no, no thanks. I don't need to see that, right? We know it's something nasty. It's something that's like eating the flesh. And as it's eating the flesh, it actually sort of grows up into eating all the other good flesh. It just sort of takes over. It is a horrific disease of sorts that is eating alive whoever is attached to it. And honestly, one of the biggest ways you salvage from gangrene is cutting off whatever limb has that and removing it from the rest of your body. He's like this, the poison words of discontent, of dissatisfied, of wrong doctrine, of speaking ill of God, of speaking ill of others, it tears down the church and it tears down your own soul. It's like a gangrene in your heart, and it's a disease that spills out of the mouth and brings poisonous hurt to others. He's like, be careful, and don't rehearse division. Don't rehearse rebellion. Don't rehearse anger and separation. May our musings 
not be counter to God's word, but actually celebrate God's word. May he get all the glory. If uh, that metaphor wasn't rich enough, he now gives them some examples so they know exactly what he's talking about. He says, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Now, Hymenaeus, that name came up before. Remember in 1 Timothy chapter 1, his name came up. So this is 2 Timothy. His name comes up again, right? And so in 1 Timothy, he did not have it together. He was misusing his mouth. He was dragging people astray. Here we see it come up again. It's been a couple years and it's gotten worse. And now Hymenaeus and Philetus are being mentioned here. They've kind of made the hall of shame, if you will, right? And can you imagine, we said this before, but can you imagine this is the only time your name is mentioned in the Bible? Like, don't be like that guy. You're like, oh man, I feel like a heel, right? And then your ears go back and your head drops and you get a little ashamed over what am I doing with myself, right? Hymenaeus and Philetus, and they're being mentioned here. There's some bogus doctrine being shared out and some high self-assertion along the way. Um, it says, these guys had swerved from the truth, saying the resurrection has already happened. The resurrection has already happened. Now, that may not seem like a big deal at first, but this is a massive, massive deal. They were, like, everybody gets, okay, Jesus Christ, he died on the cross, and he rose again. He died to cover my sin. Debt paid for. Praise God for that. And Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He is alive. He is risen. And so, yes, the resurrection of Jesus had already happened. Yes, true to that. But he's saying so much more than that. Now these guys are going around saying, there is no resurrection of anyone else in any way or shape or form. There's been talk about life and future life and resurrection, but it's not real. It's not happening. It already happened. Not for the rest of us. This is a huge problem. Listen, Jesus Christ died and rose again, and he gives us hope, hope of a future, hope of eternity, where this body, broken down, will be restored up and glorified, perfected, and married together with soul. And forever, if you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, forever, perfect body, perfect soul for all of eternity with Jesus. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more heartache. That is our hope. Everybody say hope. Dude, they're taking the hope away. They're saying, listen to me. I don't know what Jesus is going to accomplish, but at best it's in the spiritual domain. This physical thing, it's not true. And Why would they say it? Most believe probably what's happening is they're actually deeply steeped into some physical sin themselves. And they're teaching that the physical body is bad. And so, you know what, we always, it's just bad. We'll always do bad things with it. They're beginning to give themselves the right to sin with the physical body. So they're like, physical resurrection isn't coming. Nothing's going to be redeemed with the body. It's done and over. Whatever happens with it happens. And they're justifying sin. And I'll just tell you this. I wrote these words down to kind of summarize it. Theological error is often rooted in someone trying to embrace sin. Theological error is often rooted in someone trying to embrace or even justify sin. Like, I don't want to give up what I'm doing, so I'm going to change the doctrine. That's from the pit of hell. May we follow God's word. May we recognize God's word. May this alone be the anchor of our truth. 
May we grasp that whatever he says is the way it is. And so hear me now. Jesus Christ is coming again. And all of God's people said, Jesus Christ, he's coming again. And when he comes, there will be this massive rapturing up. There will be our bodies being restored to 100% and married together forever. It's promise. Man, this weekend has been a terribly hard weekend. And with a lot of loss being talked about, and Pastor Kent being missed in so many ways as friends and family and co-worker. And hear me, men. There is a day coming where glorified body will meet up with glorified soul and Kent will be worshiping forever body and soul alongside of us. We praise God that we do not grieve without hope. We grieve with hope. And all of God's people said, they're taking the hope away. No. It will not be allowed. We stand by God's word. That's the promise. Paul's like, don't let it happen. They are upsetting the faith of some. Do you think? They're upsetting the faith of some. Now, it says some. Notice it doesn't say all. Most were like, I'm not listening to that. I'm not listening to that noise. But some were getting drawn away with it, and it was tearing them down. It was super destructive to their soul and to their ears. It says, but God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal. God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. Meaning, it has the authenticity, the integrity, it has the guarantee of God's word on it. This is the proof of God's word. He's like, this is what God is saying is absolutely true. Now, he gives us two seals that are coming right after it, two phrases. Here's the promise, the guarantee, the authority of God's word at work. He says... The Lord knows who are his. The Lord knows who are his. That's the first promise. The Lord knows who's saved and the Lord knows who is with him and the Lord knows who is his. And then the second, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. These two phrases go side by side. In fact, the first one comes from Numbers chapter 16. This is talking about Korah, the Levite, who decided to rebel against Moses, go against him with all he had. He's like, why are you telling us what to do, Moses? We shouldn't have to listen to you. We're done listening to you. Who says you're the voice of God? We're not listening. Here's what we're going to do. And Korah kind of came up in rebellion against. Korah's rebellion spoken about several times in scripture. And Moses' response was like, guys, you don't want to do this. And they're pushing against him. He's like, listen, here's my words I'll give you. The Lord knows who are his. Here's what Moses was saying. Watch yourselves, guys. God will take a stand with those who are taking a stand with him. Be careful. In the next moment after that, thunderous earthquake, ground rips open. All of those who were standing against Moses and what God was trying to do, they end up falling down into this massive chasm and the thing closes up. Can you imagine standing around watching that? And Moses is like, the Lord knows who are his. And Moses is like, enough said. Right? Like that is a thunderous statement. And he's like, just so you know, the Lord knows who are his. There is a seal and a guarantee as we follow after him. May we be faithful like Moses and following through. And second, it says, let everyone who names the name of the Lord, depart from iniquity. 
In this one, they're not quite as sure where it comes from. Maybe it's Isaiah 52. There's a little bit of a quote similar. Maybe it's number 16. There's kind of a similar quote. Maybe it's outside of Scripture altogether. But here's the bottom line. I will follow my God. I will depart from sin, and I will worship you. God knows me, and I will show that I know him. I'm in. The seal, two parts. And the first part, God's sovereignty. He knows he's working with. And the second part, man's responsibility. May we follow through with our king and give him our all. Man, as we lift up God's word, whether in heartache or in joy, may we let God's word begin to move and may we give him everything, all in for Jesus Christ. Everything. Everybody just say everything. Louder and bigger. Everything. May we give him our all. May God get all the glory and all of God's people said. Let's pray. 